Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jen, and I love horror movies. I'm Mikey. I'm dead inside, and I also love horror movies. And we really like to torture our friend Todd because he hates horror movies. That I do. And that's why they call me the horror virgin. <laughs> that's the only reason we call him that. I'm not, no other reasons at all. None at all. Whatever. So every, <laughs> every week, we take him through the encyclopedia of horror, the good, the bad, the ridiculously Jack Frosts. <laughs> and then we make fun of it, more or less. Or explain it's deceptive feminism oh. yeah exactly that's what i do that's my thing <laughs> and i'm the funny one <laughs> our episodes drop on monday so check us out consequence podcast network my friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you but if you want to make love then i do too and i'll be right there Listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I am one of the hosts. My name is Rockin' Randall Colburn. Who else is with me? Uh, Mike, why don't you go? Oh, okay. Well, my name is Michael General Louis Cruz Rothman, <laughs> reporting from the shop. <laughs> I can tell that you've watched it more than once because you actually know the names of these people. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I know all of them. <laughs> And who is that speaking? This is Mackenzie Mother Gerber. Ooh, and I am so thrilled to be on this episode, um, as I know you two are as well. Yes, Absolutely. and I am a Dr. Rockin' Randall Colburn. <laughs> wow. And today we are here name. to discuss... Today we are here to discuss uh, a lesser discussed property in the King canon. It is 1991's miniseries Golden Years, although it's called a miniseries, but it was planned to be an actual TV show. Oh, yeah. Uh, not just a miniseries. Uh, but yeah, so basically oh, um, this aired in 1991. Um, it was a book that King was working on. It was an idea that he was chasing for quite a while, and then it Basically, he had the opportunity to make it into a TV show, um, and he wanted it to be, quote-unquote, a novel for television. Um, it certainly feels like so, it. Um. <laughs> yeah, and he basically says it was sort of what kind of opened the door uh, for Golden Years to happen was Twin Peaks, yep. because Twin Peaks was a big hit. And it basically showed um, – I actually have a quote here of uh, King talking about it, so – he says, up until Twin Peaks came on, the only sort of continuing drama that TV understood was soap opera, Dallas, Knott's Landing, that sort of thing. To some degree, David Lynch gave them that, uh, but he turned the whole idea of that continuing soap opera inside out like a sock. If you think of Twin Peaks as a man, it's a man in delirium, a man spouting stream of consciousness stuff. 
Golden Years is like Twin Peaks without the delirium. I like I like um, this quote because yeah. the 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 metaphor that he gives would if you read it like our uh, Lynchian voice, it sounds like something David Lynch would say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't. I kind of take a little umbrage with this because um, there's a lot of great. Uh, prestige tv at this time i mean you had like hill street blues you had miami vice you had uh, a shitload of cinematic television that came out of the 80s so i don't know if i would just credit everything on twin peaks it certainly elevated the medium um oh i guess for network television for yeah. sure but i don't know um it seems a little much to lean a lot yeah. of this on, on on twin peaks even though i do see the twin peaks uh parallels for sure yeah how can you not yeah yeah. So this was a summer show. It uh, premiered in July of 1991. It aired on CBS. And um, basically, I sort of the logline of this is uh, it's a science fiction-y kind of thriller series. Follows an elderly janitor named Harlan Williams. And he is uh, basically <laughs> caught up. He works at this top secret laboratory. There's an explosion. Green Tommy Knocker green. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, lights spew everywhere. He's caught up in this explosion. He lives, um, but he begins aging in reverse yeah. and ends up sort of uh, basically because he still lives. This is kind of Firestarter-y, obviously, which is why the shop um, of Firestarter is is wired into this series. But uh, basically, he it's instead of a little girl on the run, it's an old man who is becoming a young man on the run. <laughs> and um, it's so yeah, basically. And <laughs> he takes laughing? well, he takes his time getting there. Uh, I mean, we all know what's going to uh, happen because basically they kind of hint at it for, I guess, a good two, three episodes. Just, wow, your hair is getting, you know, there's some color oh, there. God, it takes so it's long. Like, but, but then when they uh, finally, but then when she, the wife, like, but then when the wife finally does say, you're aging in reverse, like you're getting younger, it, it still feels unearned. I know. <laughs> it's, but it just, it's, it's, it's so um, emblematic of King's writing because, you know, I was watching it with my girlfriend and she just kept saying like, this is literally reading like a Stephen King novel because look how many descriptive yes. sequences are in this you know and random discussions and just needless information that's just welded in here like some, like but it would work for a book but for television I'm not so sure it, it works the best but uh, his elevator pitch is literally the elevator had broken down and the it's getting sweaty <laughs> they've already taken off their shirt they've already gone past the discussions about dinner they're already talking about existential crises this is how long the elevator pitch is to, for them to actually get to it on the episode. I, I just found myself just guffawing most of the time, just being like, I cannot believe it's taking this long to get to the fucking point. Like, well, yeah, let's, before we hop into it too deep. Uh, and it's funny cause we, yeah. I, I can just tell that you've been, we've been sort of bottling this up mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> we're ready to just sort of unload a little bit, mm-hmm. but let's talk about the cast a little bit. So we kind of have a core cast of some recognizable people here. Um, I actually, yeah think the cast is 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 pretty impressive except the but okay let's talk about who we initially recognize so let's talk about uh felicity huffman yes. the wife of william h macy but also star of shows such as desperate housewives mm-hmm. and uh many other hit shows and movies and uh was recently in the news because uh she was paying <laughs> off uh, she was paying off a company to get her kid into college yeah so, so she's a jailbird with Lori laughlin yeah. she never really left the shop yeah. yeah. So she she what did she do like two weeks in jail? I think so. Yeah, it wasn't much. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean to yeah. be fair, uh, and not to go off too much on a tangent on that, but like, I don't really think she needs to be in jail. I, I like that long. Like, I mean, give me a break. Like, it's it's not like the the worst fucking thing that happened in the world. Like, I, I think jail yeah. is a pretty hellish place. 
I don't really wish anyone to be there. So uh, I, they're not going to to quote Office Space right. pound me in the ass prison. That is true. This, that is true. She's going, they're going to, to like some a resort, a padded room that you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably playing um, Golden Years there. Um, uh, oh, who boy. else? So she plays a character named Carrie Span, who is uh, basically a security expert who sort of has a change of heart mm-hmm. and decides to protect our main character. Who else did you guys recognize? Uh, uh, Stephen Root. Yep. Yeah, the Steve man himself. Major Moreland in this. Yeah. Uh, just hot off the, hot off of uh, uh, Man in the High Castle. <laughs> he went back in time, and uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and joined the cast. Uh, other than Stephen Root, I well, recognize... what else? What else would people know Stephen Root from? Oh, oh every God, have you seen anything on TV ever? I mean, recently <laughs> he he's been in radio. News radio is what you go to first. I love that. That's the. Uh, well, he was. That was the first thing I think I ever saw him in. Really. Same. Yeah. Uh, that he was, was my like favorite part of news character. Radio. And that was soon after this. So. I mean, yeah. I, I want to um, say if we're going to keep True Blood for those True Blood heads out there. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Milton. Yeah, he was. He's in. Yeah, he was Milton in Office Space. Yeah. I mean yeah. Barry. He's yeah. the the main quote unquote villain. Yeah. So yeah. to speak. He's on Barry. Uh, who else did you recognize? Well, if you know The Dark Knight as much as I do, where I know every goddamn character of that movie, even down to the the minutia of like the random roles that come in and would do one liners, uh, yeah. he plays uh, Gerard Stevens, uh, Keith. <laughs> S- S- I can't say his last name, but um, Keith Sarabajka, um, Sarabajka, Sarabajka, who played, you know, who's Harlan Williams behind all that makeup. Um, he plays uh, cop Gerard Stevens, uh, who looks more like Brian Wilson at that point in The Dark Knight. Um, but he's the one that he's actually one of the best lines in the movie. Get, oh yeah, D- say it, man. Yeah. Have a nice trip. See you next fall. Yeah. <laughs> Which I was actually okay. kind of shocked that that was him when I looked it up because he doesn't look anything like that. Because I, every time I see Harlan Williams in this show, I keep thinking it's Bruce McCullough from The Kids in the Hall in makeup or something. It just <laughs> I, I can't get it out of my great. head. Um, but yeah, you know, I know him from Angel. He yeah. was a villain on a season of Angel. He was Holtz. He was the guy that stole Angel's baby. Uh, great show. Great show. And, uh, and didn't... he was great on that. And uh, I, he's a great, great little character actor. He's, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was on The Prophet, to bring up The Prophet again. Yeah. yeah, this guy, I, I I had never heard of him. I'd never seen, well, I thought I'd never seen him in anything. And then I looked at his IMDb, and this guy, in addition to having been in tons of stuff, and he was a name at the time that they made this show because he was uh, a lead character on The Equalizer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of was, he, he, he had TV bona fides, basically. But yeah. this guy somehow wandered his ass into the video game voiceover yeah. industry, and he has yeah. been in, like, Every major video game well, of like the last twenty years. You know why? Because he got why? he got linked up with Klasky Supo, who did like you know Ah Real Monsters and the Wild Thornberries, and, ah. and so I mean he's a huge voice actor. Um, yeah. So yeah, which, I can't even imagine how rich this guy is. Oh, I know. It's it's funny because like you see the guy, and you're like, oh look, he was in this this one off you know series with miniseries. It's like no, this guy's been fucking millions of things. Um, and it's still going, <laughs> like you know, it's 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 pretty wild. Yeah. Praise God on Supernatural. I mean, 
Yeah. Oh yeah, he plays God on Supernatural. I saw that. I've never yeah. seen that baby show, but well, you could definitely catch up with that show because it's <laughs> it, it's kidding. definitely only like a sixteen season run that you have to catch up on with. That's uh, what I'm saying. That. But that's what I mean. Like this guy, people know him because mm -hmm. if if you got if you're the Supernatural realm, Supernatural heads out there, they that show has been paying people's meals for 16 oh, years yeah. or something it's yeah. nuts yeah uh i might have mentioned this on the pod before but i love to brag that a friend of mine is kind of the foremost writer of supernatural smut on the internet Ooh. like she is like well known for that you know really? and uh yeah like she writes it under a pseudonym but she is very very uh enthusiastic about her about her uh, supernatural <laughs> smut, and it is well regarded. I love that crew. Love is the pseudonym smut. Harlan Williams? <laughs> that would be great. I always think. Well, isn't that the name of that of the guy from Half Baked, like the comedian? It isn't sounds it Harlan. Like it. Yeah, I, th I thought it was actually. <laughs> let me let me look that up for a second. Uh, so, did you guys? I well, recognize. I, have... I, I recognize. It is Harlan Williams actually from Half Baked. That's hilarious. Um, interesting. <laughs> Too bad he wasn't back. He could have he could have de-aged a Harlan <laughs> Williams, the actor. Um, for, we we talked about this in the text thread, but not really great in this series. Kind of just there, you know. I, I yeah didn't really get around come around to this guy on on this episode or or not this episode, but in any of the episodes we watched the entire series so so far, um, just doesn't really do anything for me. I feel like he's kind of dead weight a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, he's he's really really dull, which like. I just, uh, I'm glad that he's got a good career, but man, like... I think we've yet to see his best performance. <laughs> yeah. As he gets younger, we're going to see true true blue Keith at the end of this, and, uh, and then we can make some judgments. But right now, he's you playing an true old man. You see so much. I love he's it. I called you out for man. it last time, too. <laughs> I, um, did, did you also recognize Dr. Ackerman, who is John Rothman, and it's the, uh, it's the guy from Ghostbusters in the beginning. <laughs> Oh yes! I, did you not recognize him, Mike? That no. struck me as right up your alley. Uh, I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't catch it. No. Dr. Mark. No. That he was like the one guy I recognized right away because he's the guy in the library at the beginning of Ghostbusters, yeah. and um, I always I've seen I saw that movie. That's like, where I, he's from. I was uh, the, the one that's like, what's then, that got to do with it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then Francis Sternhagen, who played the oh, uh, library classic. ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, she didn't. Get yeah. out of here. Just joking. That actually, that that woman just celebrated her birthday. Uh, I mean, she's dead now, but she would have been 111. Uh, I just saw that on the Ghostbusters news Instagram. So, um, oh, I thought you were about Francis Stern. No, I'm like, talking I was the, surprised the, the real to see goes. that she's actually still alive. Yes, no, no, no. Unfortunately, she passed uh, somewhere up on Dante's Peak. Um, but no, I'm just joking. I don't think they've seen oh, the same God. actress. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I will say, did any rec anybody recognize the MVP from uh, Mary Lambert's uh, Pet Cemetery? Um, I know you did. Yes, Brad Greenquist, uh, who plays. And I also the, disagree that he's the MVP. The greatest character, Victor Pascal. Um, <laughs> Wait, who, who, wait, who? He plays the reporter. Play in this? The reporter who gets iced. Oh my God, you're right. Iced. Yeah. <laughs> iced. And how about that reporter straight out of the 1950s? I know. What yeah, he cracked fuck? me up. It was like such like old timey, like with his that, big ass camera and everything. That is I was where it that. really went the Twin Peaks route for yes. me. I was just like, yeah. now it's just like, we have out of time characters, like just like hanging out in this town. 
And also, like, in um, in uh, uh, Felicity Huffman's office when suddenly she had those dolls on the ceiling and yes. she was, like, oh, shooting absolutely. it with a gun. I was, like, even I was like, like, okay, now this feels like Twin Peaks. The weirdest like, thing I've seen in my life. What, what about that office that, like, literally looks like the sharper image where it has, like, the neon behind the, the fucking <laughs> yeah. back, like, booths or whatever? Well, yeah. Well, well, hold on. We'll talk. About, I want to talk about the yeah, cast yeah, a little yeah. bit more, and then we'll talk about the set because I have thoughts on that. But uh, let's talk about Frances Sternhagen since we were talking about her. She is a king vet. Yep. Uh, yeah. Not only has she acted in The Mist, and wait, what was the other thing she was in? She was also Misery. in Misery. Yeah. Misery, Misery. She played the sheriff's wife, right? Yeah. And so, uh, but she also, and this is relevant because our next book episode is uh, Dolores Claiborne. Mm. And she read the audiobook for that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I thought you were oh, just going to say, and she read that. Well, she, she read, she read the book. She, she also upon a time. She, she also read plays it. She Irene, Irene Repler uh, in uh, 2007's The Mist. Um, the Mist. So, great movie. And she plays Lillian in 1991's Doc Hollywood, starring Michael J. Fox, which is I great... knew you were going to bring up Doc Hollywood. <laughs> love, love Doc. <laughs> love, the Doc is in, and so am I. I saw that credit, and I, I almost wrote it down, but I knew that you would cover it. Had to. Had to. I well, love, it's a great King property. I love Doc Hollywood, and it's a, it is a great King um, property. I believe it takes place between uh, Christine um, and Pet Cemetery. I, lo- she I is, love that King wrote Doc Hollywood. She is. <laughs> that was another episode. She is. Um, she's great in this. I, I think she's she's really good. I like her a lot. She brings a, a gravitas to the show that some of these other actors are not bringing. Um, but I, 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 I dug her so far. I don't think they're giving her enough, but she keeps saying that she's too old. So maybe that's why. That's probably why. Yeah. And she's, you know, but Hey, look, she was right there on the front lines when she had to wash Harlan's balls. So, um, Jesus you know, Christ. Well, hold, wait, wait, just hold your horses for some, for pound cake later. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. God. And, uh, so I, did any of you recognize Dr. Well, first I want to talk about his name, Dr. Richard X Todd Hunter. Yes. Um, that name, we'll talk um, about it. But did you guys recommend, recognize the actor Bill Raymond who played that role? Uh, I did because he's in my favorite season of The Wire. Um, yes, he is. Yeah. He plays the Greek in The yep. Wire. And I was like shocked and excited because I could not place him because oh he's acting God, like you're such absolutely a. Absolutely right. Yeah, because he's playing such a dumb goofball. Like his character feels totally. Like, I don't know. I, I can't stand this character. I know. And, uh, either, yeah. but so I was like, why do I recognize this guy? And I finally just looked him up and then I was like, oh my God, it's, it's the Greek. And like, he's so, he's so like stoic and ominous in the Greek, uh, in the wire. And here he's like such a fucking like cornball. Oh, I like couldn't get him. past it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So anyways, I want to point that out. And also I just, I love the fact, well, I, I hate and love the fact that his name is Dr. Richard X. Todd Hunter, because every time they talk about him, they call him Dr. Todd Hunter. I and it, it makes it, you think that they're saying a full person's name. And Todd Hunter sounds like the lead on like a Grey's Anatomy type <laughs> show or something. So it, like, I just, whatever I hear. <laughs> easily one of the worst character names. Yeah. I've at- it's insane. And it just cracks me up because every time they said Dr. Todd Hunter, I thought they were like talking about, you know, Patrick Dempsey on Grey's Anatomy or something. Yeah. It's, it's a very total strange. Opposite. It's like, why are you going to throw that X in there? Richard X Todd Hunter. If you're not going to ever 
call him Richard X. Just call him Doctor X. X in any way. Yeah, Dr. call him Doctor X. X. Yeah, yeah. I would love Dr. that. X missed opportunity. You have a literally a mad scientist down to like the, the crazy hair. It's the mm-hmm. most stereotypical personification of a mad scientist that that is like <laughs> existing in real life in this world. It's so bizarre. Here's a question. I, I have exists a, yeah. in this show. I have a question regarding Doctor X. Uh, or should I say Doctor Top Hunter? <laughs> Is he above or below Wyndham Earl from season two of Twin Peaks? Uh, I don't here's think the he's thing. quite I, at Wyndham Earl <laughs> status yet. I always will remember Wyndham Earl for, for the for the way that he manifests in the Black Lodge, mm-hmm. which I still think is really terrifying and excellent, yeah. that it makes me uh, – that I'm actually – I, it helps me forget all the bad Wyndham Earl plots the eight episodes that we did with him. Oh my god! <laughs> oh god! I just would love to and see Doctor X in all the disguises that Wyndham Earl is in. <laughs> I would, I would love to see that because right now we, we, he's only wearing that white coat all the time. I know. Uh, Doctor X, what are you doing? Change up the outfit. Uh, um, so let's talk about probably one of the most recognizable actors who he's one of those that guy actors who everybody has seen but probably wouldn't be able to name mm-hmm. and that is ed lauder yeah. who plays uh wait what is this character's name even oh. um, cruz oh he's the one you named yourself after yeah, yeah. love him um <laughs> this guy i'm trying i'm trying to he actually passed away in um t- what was it 2013 yeah. which made me sad because i did not know that mm-hmm. but this guy has been in so much and uh i'm trying to like remember what maybe the most like iconic thing i've seen him in i mean is Is there wait what cooge oh he's in cooge yeah 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 he's who's he playing cooge he's joe camper yeah oh so we got a lot of stephen king you know connections here just for the cast alone which is pretty interesting i don't yeah i dig that I'm trying to see if Felicity Huffman's uh, a part of the universe a little bit somewhere. I just oh, my she God. She's in, she's in uh, Golden Years. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> God. Uh, let's see. But this guy, his career goes way back to 1972, and he was like, he was in the original uh, Longest Yard and um, like 1976's King Kong. Like, just a lot of really, such a cool career this guy's had. And. Yeah, he's been in every single television show for the last 20 oh, years. Yeah. But I cracked up because I realized what it, what my main thing I remembered him from was, which is definitely not one of probably his best uh, his best performances or most notable, but he, he was in 1987's Revenge of the Nerds I knew 2, you were gonna say that. Nerds in Paradise, <laughs> which is a movie I watched over and over again when I was a kid. Yeah, and see, he plays the the like basically the coach of the jocks. So he's like oh. the one of the bad guys. Oh wait, no, 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 no. I take it back. He's like um he's not the coach. He's like uh the guy who like runs the hotel or something. Mm. Basically, he's in league with the jocks and I remember he's like a total villain and I always hated him when I was young and it when I realized that that was the same guy, I like lost it. But Oh, he was also in Finders Keepers 1984 which uh, starred Brian Dennehy. So perhaps both of them are having a oh. drink up in heaven right now. So Yeah, rest oh, in gosh. peace. He, we literally uh when you're well, I guess like you're hearing this on Friday, we're recording this on Thursday, so yeah, yeah basically. I also uh, he- knew him from two other things which was the the Rocketeer, yep, and X Files. He's yeah. one of my favorite episodes from season one, Space, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, which 
a lot of people don't love. But I know, I, which I, is it's I, a very I, just, I, I think episode. it's still I think it's a still really creepy episode. But um, but I always remembered him from that, probably because I watched that episode multiple times. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, Ed Lauder's great. Uh, who who else is in here? I oh, there's uh the this guy it was a guy that I thought that I recognized, but then Mike helped me realize in a text earlier why I thought I recognized him. R. D. Call, who plays mm-hmm. shop operative Jude Andrews, <laughs> uh, played. <laughs> I thought who who did I think I, this guy well, was? I was like, like it, it, he's basically a William Forsyth clone. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's insane. But this guy has has a long career. Yeah. Yeah, he's been um, around. Yeah. And he actually just passed away uh yeah. in February, February 27th, 2020. Isn't that crazy? And I makes me wish I'd written an obit for him. And I'm pre- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there I mean, are it's... some there are some out there. This guy has been in like tons of stuff i just i don't think i ever really recognized him oh that's sad maybe yeah. maybe, I, maybe i thought he was william forsyth and everything I saw him <laughs> yeah we never wrote a we never wrote an obit for him that's sad um i will say if they were on too. if they were on set you know Artie call and ed lauder probably bonded over the fact they were in born the fourth of july together so um, yeah there you go. There we go i can imagine those two like partying together you know, it's like hey uh, yeah. and and they were also Artie call was also in the x-files um, not in the yeah, ad- not in the episode man, space, yeah. but yeah, the Miracle Man. So, lots Yo, of crossover. RD, let's uh, let's hit the bar. Talk talk files. Hey, uh, I got a I got a real <laughs> cigarette, not this fake shit that they got in the set. You know, I gotta say, um, r- regardless of us not recognizing RD Call, I I really didn't want to like him, and then I was like chewing on every scene that he was in. Yeah, because uh, he like, really won me over. <laughs> it's oh. it, it's actually really fun to watch every scene he's in because it's just like. I don't know. I just got a really big kick out of, out of the rest of his performance on the show. Oh, totally. It's kind of one of the only things getting me through. <laughs> <laughs> Especially yeah. a certain scene I can't wait to bring up a little later. Well, yeah. Yeah, and there's a few other actors that I don't think we've reached yet, um, but that are notable. Uh, Eric King from Dexter. He played Dokes. Oh. Uh, which is, to me, one of the silliest characters oh, I've ever absolutely. seen in a TV show. He's I used to I have gum. A, I feel yes. Like. I have like a dokes impression I used to do in college. Uh, it's it's uh, because there was one scene where basically like he drives up in his window, his car window slowly <laughs> rolls down and he just stares and he's like, I'm going to get you, Dexter. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> so I used to always do that. <laughs> like, and then um, and then Margot Martindale, uh, if you're a fan of Bojack Horseman, you may know her as char- uh, celebrated character actress Mar- Margot Martindale. And, um, and the then Americans. also the great. Um, yeah, the Americans. Yeah. Oh, and then wait, wait, also the Margo great Martindale? Stephen King. Uh, I don't think we've seen her yet. No, I think she out. shows oh, up okay. later. Because I was like, I don't remember seeing either of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then Stephen, the King, yeah. Stephen King also shows up in episode five as a bus driver. So we'll see how it ranks in the in the great yeah. pantheon of King cameos, yeah. which uh, I cannot wait for next week's episode, which is our part three of our great stand rewatch in this age of coronavirus. And uh, that's when we can really dig into Cy King's cameo as Teddy Wyzak in the stand. Yeah. Very much looking forward to discussing that because uh spoiler alert i kind of hate it yeah um and so like i I like king king cameos in small doses like pet cemetery even his uh his uh sons of anarchy cameo is excellent oh yeah he's Um, he's he's supposedly great in that show right oh he's great well he's in like one episode and he has like one line but he's he plays he plays bachman this is his character's (laughs) name uh i kind of love it but so yeah um i think that's the main cast we've pretty much covered them all um and then yeah, so let's talk a little bit about maybe just our. Let's talk about. The, actually, I do want to talk about the set a little bit. You brought it up, Mike, but 
I, I was astounded by how low budget everything was. Yes. It literally <laughs> looks like they took the labs that they didn't use or they maybe did use or were done with for like Nickelodeon programs. Like it looks like the labs for like the secret world of Alex <laughs> Mack. Like I just imagine yes. like cardboard crates in the background and <laughs> I mean, granted, I'm not, like, expecting, like, HBO's Chernobyl, for Christ's sake, but, like, I mean, at least put a little effort in, like, the design. Nothing looks lived in. All the people look like they literally just walked into the set, like, that day and were like, oh, oh this is where I where, – what's the blocking? Oh, I'm right here? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it just seems well, <laughs> very cheap. They very actually cheap. realized after the first couple episodes that uh, Keith Sarabaka was just playing himself. <laughs> he just stumbled on the set. <laughs> Um, he actually does have the Benji Button syndrome and is aging uh, <laughs> backwards. I I do I will say, I thought the exterior does a pretty good job in making it seem like the shop from um, you know Firestarter from the '80s. It, because like it reminded me of like an offshoot of that, um, or at least something that would be in that universe, uh, so to speak. I mean, th- it had the aesthetic outside for me, and also. We were kind of commenting about how the fence looked a lot like Stranger Things. I mean, even just the way that it, the the, the lead up into it, the security terminal, the building outside, like everything exterior wise looks pretty good because they're all filming like actually on a real location. But when they get into the sets, it's like, oof. Um, yeah, like there were just certain sets like offices, like you mentioned earlier, where there's like neon lights and it like some of them look like porn sets. Yes. Like I was like cracking up. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to have a porn set when you have uh, Ed Lauder just to, like, I don't know, doing something on a fucking security camera as he's staring, like, at Felicity Huffman with light hey, jazz playing. I just thought they were going to start fucking, like... That dude oozes masculinity. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the, like, so let's talk a little bit about maybe just some things that stood out as particularly egregious. And then we'll talk about things we liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think <laughs> this is a good opportunity to talk about how this series really does feel like a, like a, a novel mm-hmm. um, in the sense that a lot of these, these there's these long winding scenes with so much dialogue and they go on for so long and you can see them on page working because you're you're get, you're like learning about the characters you're you know kind of like set, settling into the world of it and you have that space to breathe a little bit but the pacing of this like we all mentioned that we all like I fell asleep watching this um at one point and Mike you mentioned you did too multiple times so, yeah <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's the pacing of this is so tremendously slow and I saw some of our readers or listeners um uh commenting that they they're like yeah, I bought this cuz I wanted to be a king completist and I got like 90 minutes and couldn't do it anymore. And dude, I get it. Yeah. Like I totally um, get it. Jen, Jen Adams when I was talking to Jen about it, um uh you know, the horror version also follows her here. Uh, she she was like, "Well, that's something I certainly watched." And like had nothing else to say about it. And I was like, all right, great. I, I was watching it. I like, it must have stapled my eyelids open. I watched the, the three hours straight. <laughs> wow. And I, think I kept I did it texting Randall chunks. saying, Can't, you're going to love it. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Can't believe Man. this is still on. Yeah. yeah so it like was for a very me, boring watch. For me, the section where I was like screaming at them to move on was <laughs> it was like maybe in the second episode or maybe the first episode when uh, Harlan is in the hospital mm-hmm. and the nurse comes in and like his wife's there and she's like, I have to give you your bath now. And then uh, and then she like 
he's basically like, oh, I'll just wash myself. And she's like, no, I have to do it. And then basically implies that she has to wash his like balls like in yeah. his his dong and this conversation goes on for so yes. long where he is like it, it, like it, i just wrote in my notes i just wrote god this goes on forever because like it's like <laughs> it's like this whole like it's like supposed to be a joke and he's like i can do it myself and she's like no i'll do it and the wife's right there and he, she's like what are <laughs> it, it's it plays out in, in real time as if this was if it was actually happening and they just like happen to catch it on camera like it, it's, yeah. it's, it, it is so it is very long. But that, that's how the whole thing is. It, it reads like you just walked in and this is actually what is happening. It's not cut or edited to make it more entertaining. For right. The viewer. It's just like this is like a, a, a fly on the wall and it's so boring. It's very boring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's also very king. Uh, you know, you read a lot of the stories and these are the type of conversations that are going on. Uh, a lot of the times and they work on paper because you're in that world and you know you're experiencing that world in somewhat of a real-time sense but when you're watching on television like you got to get to point a to point b you know in a relatively not brisk pace but at least some sort of pace and like the pacing for this first episode it might be the the slowest like pilot i've seen um, of its era yeah like especially yeah. at a time when people were really it's coming nuts. down on pacing and all these other things i, I don't know i'm just kind of staggered it's staggering to see um the the amount of like um just uh, fat that's in the in these episodes um mm-hmm. i'm all about yeah. older actors being the leads of shows but let's go i was yeah. yelling <laughs> at the tv like randall at one point i yelled at the tv let's go <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think this is like losing my mind. And you mentioned this earlier where you were touching on this earlier, Mac, or maybe it was Mike. um, But basically it's like, we spend so much time learning that he's aging in reverse. And Mm -hmm. that is not just implicit in the, the central, like everyone knows that going in, you know what I mean? Like that is the hook of the show. And so we spend so much time, Watching him realize it, his wife realize it, Felicity Huffman realize it, Ed Lauder realize it. And, like, the thing is, we're so many steps ahead of them that it just starts to become incredibly frustrating. Because, like, we're watching it happen. We know this is going on. We don't need this fucking eye exam. We don't need all of these things. Like, I get on page, like, because King is so plot-focused in the sense where he's like, okay, to get to point, uh, you know... To get to point B, I need to... There's, like, five steps in between A and B. And I need to justify getting to B by doing all of these different steps. In yeah. a novel, that works. But yeah. here, it's, like, he's... And it's because it's paced out like a novel. So there's, like, scene, 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 scene. And that's why it just goes on for episodes and episodes you know and episodes. You know what it reminded me of, though? What? The Outsider. Um, yeah? Because how many episodes did we spend in this first season them having to convince us that... You know, the Okuko is real and there's monsters. Nine episodes yeah. of the ten. <laughs> like, well, that's a that little bit different. It wasn't as many. In the, the, it wasn't nine episodes because we didn't know what it was until, you know, no, until well, like episode four or so. And then the lead there was character, like, though, the lead yeah. character, for some reason, does not believe until the ninth episode. <laughs> yeah. OK, that's yeah. true. Yeah. It's nuts. But that's what so, I felt with this, though, Randall, was like, like you said, we know we know already going in. I mean, even if you, I'm sure the trailer gave it away for the show. I mean, yeah, you don't need it. Now, if what would have been smarter is if 
you know, Doctor Doctor X bit it with the other doctors, and they're like, this this thing was so top secret, no one knew what it was. Then we, as an audience, are are also trying to figure out what could it possibly be, what's actually happening to him, right? And what's going to happen? But they explain it in like episode two in a lengthy discussion with <laughs> Felicity Huffman and and Ed Lauder's character with with Doctor X. He t- tells Point Blake tells them that it, he was working on a regeneration serum that that would, you know, a de aging process basically, and you're like, okay, yeah. And then we spend like, f- you know, four episodes talking about the same thing. It's just like well, boring. There, as hell. There's also a distraction in in a and it's very unfocused for as much time as they spend on a lot of things. Like, there's so much time with you know um, Terry Spann, you know Felicity Huffman's character and. Um, you know, General Louis Cruz, who like Ed Louder, who like who they literally yeah. just talk about the same things over and over again, and then they repeat those same discussions when they link up with you know Andrews, and then they repeat those discussions mm-hmm. when we're following Andrews with whoever he's g- kind of antagonizing, and like mm-hmm. yeah, it's just and th- and then that takes away from the actual hook of the uh, the show, which is this guy aging in reverse, so that by the time you actually get to these scenes where you're watching Harlan Williams, who's about as interesting as an empty box of Pizza Hut. Um, there's, it's like you're like, oh yeah, he's de aging. Um, what's happening here? Oh yeah, he's just the MacGuffin at that point for like kind of yeah. boring government guff. Um, you know what this was? It was watching. It's the closest we'll get to roadwork adaptation. It was like yeah. watching roadwork unravel before my <laughs> eyes, and I have the moment here where I yelled at the TV. I wrote, I wrote it down. <laughs> It was the scene, it was the multiple scenes back to back where Terry Spann calls Ed Lauder on the phone and is just basically telling him that they, they, they're playing this like game of baseball, this like coded conversation. Yes. And then oh, it gets God. interrupted. Oh, yeah. It gets interrupted for zero reason. Yeah. And then they pick it up the conversation again on another payphone somewhere else in yes. town. And it's like. I literally wrote on here, oh, my God, let's go. I know. <laughs> I, I actually thought – so here's the problem with that. I, I'm so glad uh. you brought that up, Mac, because I, I was drifting off, and I woke up again, and they're repeating that same conversation, and I actually turned to Sammy, and I go, wait a second. They already discussed this. Like, what is happening? And then she mentions that. She goes, well, actually, it's two calls. And I was like, oh, okay. No, I did see the scene before that. I'm not delusional. And then I started thinking, like, Why? Why do we have these two scenes? It makes no <laughs> sense. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Um, and then can we also just talk about the fact that, like, in terms of it looking like there's not a lot of money going into this, did you ever buy Harlan as an old man? Like, oh, no. no. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I love, okay, here's a few of my favorite lines of his. Um, when he says, dance with me, mother. <laughs> And <laughs> the other one, the other one, I was, let's get in the car, mother. <laughs> Why is he calling his wife mother? I know they have a child. It's still creepy and weird. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like cute <laughs> because the first, one of the first scenes we see them together, they're like fucking in the shower. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, so we'll much, get to that. We'll, we'll uh, get, eat some pound cake. Well, he just loves those old people having sex that, um. Yeah, the, the the thing that was also kind of uh, baffling to me was just like there, you have these great moments that of of character interactions that just go on too long. Um, you know, like yeah. y- you'd have these awesome moments. Where you're like, all right, dialogue's working, things are good, and then 
they go into another like sort of soliloquy or like some sort of digression or monologue. And the perfect example is like with Steven Root, who's just like totally owning the scene and talking about his roast beef. And, you know, you want one one side of the conversation really works if you pick them like you pick either one because he has this great digression mm-hmm. about the metaphor of roast beef that he like aligns with Harlan. Um, and that's great. But then right before that, there's literally like a five minute scene of them talking about just his role in general and his eyes. It's just like a, an eight minute scene of two people just sitting there in, in an office and, and, and watching it again and again. Cause here's the thing um, before I go too much further, I actually have golden years on DVD. So it's split up in two parts. And I think they cut off a lot, cut out a lot to make it more of like a movie or mini, like a, an actual, like, Oh, interesting. I didn't know that's how the DVD was structured. Yeah. So I, I, there's a lot of scenes that were still falling asleep. Oh, well, (laughs) here's the thing. I watched it first on that. And then when I, I just didn't sleep last night. So I just put it on because I was like, well, this made me go to sleep before. So maybe this will help. (laughs) And I ended up watching the long version on YouTube of just like, I think what you guys were watching, like where it was actually like episode, or you see credits in the beginning and end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. It's like five <laughs> hours and 50 minutes. Long. And I couldn't believe just how much stuff is added in there, even more on top of the stuff that I wanted, that I already thought needed trimming with the fucking DVD version. So it was, it, it's like this needed, an, this needed an editor. And, I, and I'm worried, I wonder if it was just because King was at the, you know, at the helm um, and everyone was kind of too scared to kind of have that sort of discretion on it. I don't know, but. I yeah, know. I was I was looking into the directors a little bit and it's like basically the guy who directed the pilot, his name is Kenneth Fink. Like he had a pretty successful TV directing career. He worked on Dawson's Creek. He did an Oz episode. He worked on CSI. Like he kind of just did a lot of those shows. And then, um, the guy, Alan Coulter, who directed, uh, episodes two, four, and six, he actually made that movie Hollywood land. Um, I don't know if you remember that movie. Oh yeah. And then he also direct, he also directed one of a movie that I feel like people, need to rediscover in terms of it being a bad movie um is 2010's remember me with robert oh, pattinson one of the and worst the girl of all time exactly oh, wow. like i think that's the reason it's not really beloved is that it's a fairly forgettable romantic like coming of age movie and then it ends with uh spoiler alert for 2010's remember me <laughs> it ends with uh, <laughs> uh it's 9 11 <laughs> and <laughs> Um, and he's in the tower like, and, it, and he's in the tower and it doesn't it pan to like a, a date or something like that and then it's like oh something like that i'm sure it does wow it's, it's really hard to watch but yeah that put an end to his film directing career but he uh but he actually directed several episodes of boardwalk empire um and house of cards and he, even the great the late great vinyl uh well maybe not okay. great i liked i liked vinyl i was the only one that 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 enjoyed the show but it's i okay. think dan liked it dan yeah, i think he might have i think he was a little more critical than i was which is kind of kind of crazy that it never happens but um he, he it was all right it was fun it was bubblegum tv show but um, yeah and then uh stephen tolkien directed episode five and he you know nothing that exciting although he he wrote the 1990 uh captain america movie that Oof. had jd salinger's oh, son wow. in it Ouch. <laughs> well Ouch. he was a writer on it which is pretty wild so yeah. it was sort of an odd mishmash of directors here and um yeah because there's there's no dynamism to the directing it mm-hmm. feels like work you know work for hire kind Absolutely. of stuff um and there's, there's no, no aesthetic really either there's it's, no aesthetic no. yeah it tries. I mean, it certainly tries to ape the Lynchian qualities um, by b- 
being a little quirky as we discussed with like the reporter and having that sort of that that lean back on the 1950s edge somewhat but it's so um conscriptive and just like and just plain and and even just the framing for things like we were talking about that scene with like felicity huffman in the in the phone booth it's literally just like standing in front of the phone booth like there's no like style or finesse to it and well, especially when you've got these long scenes and all yes. this, you know, these this long dialogue filled scenes, you got to do something. Like I always remember, like, like Brian De Palma in that, um, you know, the documentary that Noah Baumbach made about him. Just like right at the beginning, he's talking about when he directed his first movie, and he's like, "Well, I got this huge conversation between all these guys. Like, I can't just do it in one place." So he just shot like, v- like portions of that conversation in like six different settings and just stitched them together and it gave it sort of a propulsive feel and it also like helped illustrate like a passage of time and and deepening of relationships and it's like it's like it doesn't take that much more you know to really like make a a dialogue info dump scene a little more active you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it's just like these these scenes just feel like black holes like and uh like you're just sinking in them and so i think that really hurts it was because i mean even the the weaker episodes of twin peaks there's at least like some dynamism to the directing totally and uh and also i mean especially when you start with lynch and he establishes the palette you know that's something i think is really interesting um about tv shows now is there's very much this kind of like we need to get uh, somebody of note to direct the first episode and sort of establish the visual palette of the show, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, like M night Shyamalan mm-hmm. with servant on Apple TV. Like he basically established the visual palette of the show that they would be using from there on out. He didn't direct every episode. Obviously I think he only directed a couple, but it's like, you know, you get that person to sort of say, here's my style. I'm going to bring it here. And, you know, and didn't Scorsese like direct the pilot of boardwalk empire? He did. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you, that's one way to do it, but here it's like, there's no vision. And obviously, and Lynch did the first episode of twin peaks, right? Yes. Yeah. He did the yeah, first one. So. And then so did like Michael Mann with Miami vice. So it's like, you need yeah. that, that sort of quote unquote, auteur to, to kick it off, which this never gets. They just get the, in a sense, they get it with the writing with King. Cause like, it's 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 not difficult to watch this first episode and think, all right, yeah, King's behind this. Like it has a lot of the archetypes in there. It has a lot of his sort of uh, trademark quirks that are wired into the story. Um, but it just it's it's lacking a punch. And and if it weren't for the fact that like it's stacked with like a, you know a few veteran actors and um, there's a sort of uh, but that's- that's also the problem too is that like a lot of these people were not big at the time Mm-mm. or even known no. <laughs> you know what i mean like they went on to do things that we know them from yeah which is telling but, that uh, like when when they you know because obviously they wanted to this never really had a real ending um and you know we'll get to that eventually but yeah we'll talk about that yeah but the cbs was just like flat out like king was actually like can we just get like a few more takes to like finish an ending and even cbs was like no and it's because yeah. yeah, I would have said no too. Right? Well, it's like, well, what, what is the <laughs> selling point for this show? Like, I don't, I don't really, you know, if at the time in the early '90s, you have a lot of adults that are in their like 30s and 40s that love King, right? And you know, obviously, me, I guess to a lesser degree, 50s and, and 60s, I can't imagine we're that voracious King Raiders. But I, I, like those that are hooked by King and see Stephen King and want to get some more IP from him, aren't gonna want this like this isn't the demo well, like I, it's I, I, coming it's coming the year after the it miniseries yeah so you're going into this expecting it to be somewhat 
somewhat on par. I mean, that was a television miniseries as well. And this is just, it's like you guys were saying, so low budget. The, the music is awful. The guy, <laughs> the music the guy Joe, is really Joe bad. Taylor did the music. I always send you guys a picture of uh, his IMDb because it's great. Uh, if I can get my phone to work. Oh, again. speaking of music, how and, misleading um, is that theme song? Because it's such a fucking groovy, fun song by David Bowie, and then you get to the and you're like, "Ooh, all right, I'm in on this." But but you get the reprise of it in the in the, the doctor's office when you hear the, the elevator version of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh uh, my God! Look at this guy. And yeah, I sent you the picture. He's credited for writing for. Oh gosh, let me see. What did it say here? I think it said he only did music for like two two episodes. Which mm-hmm. means how much re- repeated, redrawn, you know, like reprised themes are in the rest of these episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it but was. It, it, oh. It's it's not very memorable, which you know is saying something, considering that I remember the music for pretty much every Stephen King miniseries of the '90s for the most part. Like even The Shining, even I remember. Tommy Knockers. I don't remember that. I've never seen Tommy Knockers, <laughs> so I can't tell. Save that. You haven't but seen it, Mike. I've Mike, only seen parts of it. Only on. seen parts. Um, not a Tommy head. Um, but uh, <laughs> All right. I I will say though, like you know, you look back at like you're saying that with it, that music is still iconic. Like you hear that fucking theme, and oh, like totally. boom, you're gonna get it. And like they definitely, um, you know, set a high watermark by using one of David Bowie's catchiest songs off of you know easily his most accessible accessible album um especially for the 80s and then you go you you're like you're 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 drawn in and immediately dumped into like it's like it's like being told you're gonna go and hang out with your friends and then your mom drops you off at your grandmother's house who doesn't have cable (laughs) and it's 90 degrees outside and you're not allowed to have the air conditioning on like but the difference the difference there mike is that even at your grandparents with no cable (laughs) The next day, you realize, oh, I don't need cable. I can actually just still have fun here. But we never get to that point yeah. in this show. You really don't. And another thing with this, oh, gosh. I lost my train of thought because, <laughs> because of that comment. Oh, man. I'm I sorry. great coming up. Well, you're talking about the – Oh, the, golden years. Yeah. Golden years. No. The fact that they used golden years, like, I was like, okay, this is not what I thought this was going to be just from the opening credits because I was like – I was surprised they actually used the song. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, maybe this is gonna happen. Maybe this is gonna be like a weird watch, but like at least entertaining. But then it just starts with that first scene with Harlan talking to the security guard outside <laughs> about how he just like wants to die already. And <laughs> it's literally yeah. like we jump. It's like it's like, okay, the golden years funky music stops playing. Let's go to turn to page twenty-five of Firestarter and start. <laughs> it's like so boring. Well, that must have been such a get for them, like to get that song. I know, but yeah. th- that's why they they had no money to pour into the music the rest of the yeah. six episodes. And David Bowie, yeah. David Bowie took one uh, <laughs> look at the show. Oh, they're using my theme song tonight. Um, they like turns in, <laughs> watches five minutes. Like this is this is. Uh, Kind of garbage. <laughs> I could just see you sitting, sitting on the couch going, Holy Christ. Holy Christ. <laughs> this is crap, dance. mate. <laughs> he turns crap, to like mate. the beautiful woman next to him on the couch. Let's dance. Let's dance. <laughs> turn off the TV. <laughs> Should we do no cocaine? Um, but <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's all really fascinating. And I guess like, I'm curious if you got well, I guess I'll save it for the end. I wanna and just to be clear, like we're this is a two part episode. We're gonna be talking about the last half. Hilarious. Uh in two weeks. War- I know. You mean you're warning people? Yeah. <laughs> 
so we've only watched the first half and um and we'll talk about the ending obviously more in detail then but i do think at the end of this episode it could be fun to talk a little bit about the general concept of like when TV shows get canceled unceremoniously, that used to be a pretty common thing Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day. And now it's like, if a show ends before, you know, it was like the fans think it should, or the creators think it should like, Oh, there's more story to tell. There's like, now there's these fan movements and other and streamers pick it up or other networks pick it up. And um, I think that could be an interesting thing to discuss as we, as we wrap up the episode. But uh, before we do that, let's talk about maybe some things that, actually worked for us um because i actually do have a few and mm-hmm. i guess like i'd start though like is with the question of is this an like a book you would want to read like if king had written it as a novel and it wasn't a tv show is this something that you guys think would have been a good king book hmm. uh, you go matt no. <laughs> i feel like this would have read like roadwork like it would have been very exactly what we saw yeah just on paper and it's just it's not it does not that sequence in the beginning is not enough but in that sense it is it really is like firestarter you know you you start off with like this guy on the run you know you're like oh man this is like what what's going what's going on and then there's like 300 pages of just like the conversation between ed louder and terry span in the office mm-hmm. and yeah. you're just like what is going on let's go get to it the shop has unfortunately never really been that interesting, um, but I will say if the, if if it's centered more around Jude Andrews' character mm-hmm. and Terry Spann, like if they were the leads and all this other stuff was just happening outside of it, I think that would have been interesting to read. But I yeah. think it would have weighed Harlan's heavily. Harlan's definitely the least interesting character, <sighs> yeah, and you I don't know. know how that would manifest on page. Yeah, I just feel like it, the focus would have m- much. It would have been on those characters. And that, even though there's a couple moments that worked for me with those characters, I just I don't think it would have worked as a as a book. I think it would have just yeah. failed. I agree. I think it's a little too boilerplate. I, I think the idea of this you know f- experiment gone wrong is just literally every Marvel Comics character, uh, especially mm. like you know like Bruce Banner, yeah. or the Hulk. I mean, it's like even down to the the color. Like pick a different color for Christ's sake if you're going to use like a, a reactor gone wrong story for uh, it's just like literally the same thing as uh, Bruce Banner's storyline. So for me, it's like I just for it, there's not a, enough of a hook. And yeah, as Mac already mentioned, like the shop really isn't that interesting. And like probably and I, I feel like maybe even King realized that, which is probably why he didn't actually include it in the Institute last year. But um, I for me, it's it, <laughs> I guess what would make this interesting and where I do see some strengths of this show um, is King's ability to make like a very adult story. You know, I like the idea that these are all adults. There are no children involved. Like it's, it's dealing with age, which I think is something that is very relative. Um, and the whole fountain of youth thing can be very cool. And especially on the book setting, I know King would probably get into the details of like what the changes would be like. And for that, hearing about like the different body stuff would be really cool and interesting. And then um, especially if you got longer, you could, you could possibly weld a really great drama and love story of someone that's getting younger and someone that's getting older. Um, Mm -hmm. There's something there that's really great that, I mean, obviously David Fincher mind uh, from F Scott Fitzgerald (laughs) to lesser result, you know, even lesser dividends in in, uh, 2008. But 
Wait, with Ben Button? I hate it. Yeah, yeah the, I can't stand that movie. The thing where the, the trailer is superior to the movies. Yeah. So. I thought people liked Ben Button. Yeah, they like it. Like, it was, Busy it was Buttons is not good. It's not. Uh, good. There's, I a, think there's you guys a sequence are... in the middle with Tilda Swinton <laughs> that I think is excellent and should I think be you guys are Bill Button haters. I was, I'm was. i a hater because um I actually showed up late to the movie um <laughs> and I uh, couldn't get... Not late to the movie, but late enough where I couldn't get snacks and water. And the movie's three <laughs> and a half hours. You didn't know what was going on. You didn't understand why he was. <laughs> I, I, I was like, "What's happening? Why is Brad Pitt being old? Um, <laughs> why is he an old little baby? What is this baby He's up there? Why is he babying? I um, <laughs> I. <laughs> well, that was a, that was another confusing thing. Was the 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 two guys that get the blast in the beginning. They're healing so incredibly fast. They just they just die. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I think that they had like I think that they had like fatal injuries. So even though the superficial wounds were healing, like they were like oh, I see. The, too the, far the, gone. They had injuries from just the blast itself. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I don't. I mean, that's yeah. I'm just guessing well, because that because again we don't know what's happening. So we don't know if just because they were that close, they are having like a reaction to it. So you think it's much more nefarious. Mm-hmm. But then he realized, oh no, this guy's just—he's just de-aging at a very slow rate, and we're gonna have to sit here for three more, four more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... So, um, uh. so I think uh, I think the way I see it is—is is we touched on you guys touched on a few of the things that I think were at least interesting, and I—I'm not sure that this would make a great book, but I'd at least read it, obviously. But I think what stands out to me as interesting is I do find the concept of like like accelerated healing and the idea of, Oh, if a finger gets blown off or something, it can grow back and that it would revolutionize like battlefield, like, you know, like wartime injuries and things like that. That, that to me is like an interesting concept. And then I was also drawn to the idea of, it wasn't just that he was de-aging. It was that like, you know, the scars were disappearing Mm -hmm. and King spent a lot of time on that, which was dull in the series, but in a book, I can see that being interesting because it raises an interesting idea, which is, you know, if, if your scars are erasing, you're not de-aging. It's more so that like your body is resetting. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like, or it's not resetting, rewinding. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you just de-age, like you'd think the scars would remain there. But if, but the whole concept of the scar disappearing to me means not that like the body is just de-aging because like the scar is the scar. But if the scar disappears, then it's more so like your body is like your your whole existence is rewinding. And then there's the question of like it's the thinner thing, right? Which yeah. is like how much right. weight can he lose before he dies? Like, is he going to keep de-aging until he's a little baby? <laughs> well, and that, and that was my thing, Randall. I thought this could be this could be interesting. Yeah. If, and again, I haven't watched the last three episodes, so yeah, we haven't. None of us <laughs> are going to get there. Well, but Mike I maybe think has. my my thought was like, if it got to the because of the because the scars were disappearing, I kind of like that metaphor. Like, the, the, your life experiences start disappearing. Yeah, like, yeah. Then that would be interesting because then, you know, there could have been a cool moment between like a younger version of him and his wife where she's like. I don't even know who you are anymore. And he doesn't even know who she is or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because he literally is rewinding in that sense. That would be really cool. But the problem is, you know, like with thinner, you have the horror that as he continues to get more and more thin, it's like, it's horrifying. It's, it's, it's played for a horror aspect where this is like, 
he's just gonna what end up being a really good looking guy i mean like we don't know how far it's gonna go yeah now, if if my my thought was like okay well if they had pivoted this again and and if if, if harlan williams was at odds with like a jude andrews type character and they all worked at the shop but he was the old janitor or whatever and then this thing ended in like a showdown between the two of them. But now Harlan was an able, like, adversary. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and there was like a showdown or something like that. Would be well, kind of cool. Maybe it's building to that. We don't know. And I think that I think that uh, Mike, have you watched all of it? <laughs> I watched it two year, two or three years ago. Um, and I, I want to say yeah, it don't stays spoil pretty it, Mike, constant, because but... I, I, I got to leave some mystery there. I yeah. got to watch. <laughs> Otherwise, we won't <laughs> we be able to do it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll just like kill myself. But the, the, uh, the whole idea of like uh, like history being erased is, is, is intriguing. But so much of that would be like inner monologue. So uh, and, and right. especially with like flashbacks, so you're not going to be able to kind of fully encapsulate that. And King wouldn't be able to have that 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 brilliant device that he's able to do where he's able to have like the short stories where he can kind of go off on tangents to go, you know, venture into the past a little bit. So I think as a book, it could be a pretty mid-level read for him. Um, but as the TV show, I just keep going back to like, what the fuck happened in that pitch meeting? Was it literally just them? Like, look, King's hot. They had, you know, we got to get King. <laughs> and then he's just like, what do you got for us, King? And he's just like, well, I've been working on this novel for a while, which has a uh, an old man becoming a young boy. And they're probably like, oh, is he a sexy boy? Uh, you know, I, we can get Jason Priestley. Jason Priestley. Is he a sexy boy? We could get a What if it was Jason Priestley in, <laughs> yeah. in old age makeup? I would, I would be so much more on board with this at this point. <laughs> But if, I would love if they put like no effort into no, it. It was no just effort. Jason Priestley with like like a gray mustache, and yeah. that was it. And they, you know that like silver hair uh, spray that you get at Halloween to like put yeah. in your hair. Like that's what they use for his his like gray hair. And he's just like, uh, what are you, what are you talking about, babe? Um, I, <laughs> but I'll say this too. I'll say this yeah. too, which is the other thing that was really interesting to me is, and you guys mentioned this, the concept of you know your de aging and your elderly wife is is not and it's like this gulf is growing between the two of you but there's also other fun ways to explore because i'm sure there'd be a fun part where it's like she's like hey i've got a hot young guy now that i can bang Mm -hmm. and um you know and it reminded me a little bit and this is i'd say this is a bit of a spoiler for 11 22 63 so maybe just skip ahead 30 seconds um but basically if you guys you guys have both read that right uh i've seen the series so i I mean i know the the twist well you know in the end you sort of you know, in the past, he falls in love with Sadie, and then right, at the end yeah. of the book, uh, he goes and sees her when she's an older woman, and he sort of sees how her life shook out. And I think that's like really impactful, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. that whole concept of like this alternate history uh, romantic affair plus this the difference in age and like the difference, you know, that whole. And I so I think that King looked at the central. I think this was a maybe a story idea where the metaphor and the theme and the idea was more interesting than the actual story i agree because if you if you think about it there's there's a lot of emotional weight here like there's you know you've got this uh you've got these themes about you know 
uh, revisit, like, you know, revisiting your youth again once you're old. It's this fountain of youth sort of theme. But then you've also got the romantic angle, which to me is really interesting. This this whole concept of, like, what does that do to a marriage? And um, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And how do they deal with that? And, like, to be able to get into her mind, um, you know, like, on the page would be very interesting to me to, like, watch this person that you love and you grew old with suddenly becoming young again. And what, like, what memories are being spurred by this? You know, like, like, and is he doing things that he what that he hasn't done and we saw a little bit of that like when they danced like he was doing a stupid little jig or whatever and she uh and she was just like i can't do it anymore <laughs> yeah and <laughs> it happens like, it which happens so quickly <laughs> yeah i know that cracked me up and yeah, so uh i agree with you randall i i i absolutely agree i think that the the themes here are really interesting and that says speaks volumes of this series where the things we liked about it is just the broad theme in general yeah <laughs> how poorly this was executed i mean if this thing had happened if this thing explosion had ha- it now if they traded if they treated it more like chernobyl yeah which it, it felt like in the beginning with the whole like testing and the, and they're just like just go with it the, the red light who cares let's go with it mm-hmm. and it was and i was like oh this is going to be interesting because then you're thinking that not only is this character, maybe this character is going to get the brunt of it and he's going to start de-aging like really fast and that's like his shtick. But I thought maybe that this was going to like spread over the course of the town. And then we were going to get like a Tommyknockers kind of thing where the whole town was like, because then you can spread, then you can do a series because multiple people are affected by this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they don't do that. So it's just, yeah, I just, I, lo- I like the idea in general about getting younger. <laughs> 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 i love that that made you laugh <laughs> yeah because because that's like that's just such a, that's like such a broad thing that's just, just that's like me saying oh i liked it because it it was a horror film <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> like, you know what i mean yeah I, um uh, yeah so i think i think that that those aspects of it to me like i find intriguing and clearly like king was around this time like interested in like a ro- a romance between mm-hmm. elderly people because he wrote Insomnia around the same time and Insomnia deals why do you, with Why do you think that was though? Like I mean he's not that fucking old. I have no old. clue. Like I know well, I do, do we know about his parents maybe or something? Maybe he was like dealing with something or someone was passing or someone he knew passed away or was dying. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a leap, but I, that's all. Yeah, that's I all mean, I could think if of. You is, look you at know, his, like you get to a certain age. Well, we talked a little yeah. bit about this with like misery and um, going into the, the dark half, and uh, you know, a few of the books after that. It's just that you could tell that there, you know, after it, he was trying to purge the idea of just doing traditional horror. You know, right? Um, and this is definitely um, part and parcel of that. You know, him trying to do sci-fi, which he doesn't really do for the most part, you know, too like, often. And, yeah. and honestly, like this is pretty close uh, to Tommy knockers, which is, you know, hard sci-fi. So um, I, it seems as if like, this is kind of part of that era of him where he is trying to flex his muscles in different ways. Um, it's almost like, uh, not to sound like Bill Simmons, but it's almost like, a, you know, Jordan leaving uh, the bulls and going to the white Sox, <laughs> uh, you know, for the year, whatever the fuck you'd say. But um, so, yeah, you know, this is more like Jordan leaving and, and pursuing golf. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Because this came out in 1991. That was the year The Wastelands and Needful Things came out. And and then the following year, Gerald's Game, mm-hmm. Lars Claiborne came out. And But Insomnia came out in 1994. And as long as that book is, uh, and knowing that King usually takes several years to write his books, especially the long ones, it's like very obvious to me that he was working on Insomnia 
like while he was while this was in the works and yeah. so I, I so i wonder if maybe he pulled some ideas that maybe he had written for the book and put them in insomnia you know and uh, i mean they're very different that stories ultimately but awesome. just the general concept of like a romantic relationship between elderly characters which is not something that king does like you know, at least up until this point had not, you know, really done a lot before mm-hmm. was, uh, was interesting to me. And so, and it'll be, I'll, I, I'm excited to like revisit insomnia because I feel like that'll be a Tommy knockers type situation where I'll be the, uh, the, the insomnia defender. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. but yeah. Yeah. And then, um, following insomnia rose matter. And then in 96 was a huge year, green mile desperation regulators. Well, even so look at was, green mile though. Green mile has a lot to do with aging and, the, the yeah. body crumbling around. I mean, it, uh, there is something to be said about the fact that he was might have been going through kind of like a midlife crisis at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, there's that. And then also he was newly sober. And it makes yeah. me wonder, too, if he was like when I the whole concept of maybe, you know, becoming younger and more spry. I wondered if maybe like being sober for him maybe made him feel like he was younger again, you know, because he wasn't yeah. as addicted to those things anymore. And that's why I, I don't know. I was just tossing around those ideas in my head because he was obviously still in like freshly in recovery when he was working on this series Mm -hmm. so i don't know i feel like i feel and obviously like his recovery and his sobriety is huge huge part of his work even i mean obviously to this day dr sleep you know and so um i don't know i i always i kind of look at everything post uh recovery and sobriety i feel like he's probably working out those themes in some way shape or form so uh i don't know so that was sort of another idea i was kicking around but here's a question uh is this yeah this miniseries improved with Mick Garris behind the camera. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, directorially at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that, not that we like praise Mick for everything. I mean, the shining miniseries was rough as hell, but, but I mean, I don't know, Mick at least the love for King always bleeds through, you know, Mm -hmm. like with Mick Garris and, like I don't even feel that in this, even though either. King wrote it. Yeah, you know? I agree. So yeah. I think that's one of my biggest it, issues with it is that it doesn't seem like anyone's really game. You know, like you yeah, watch, we, like we, we you know, we've been talking about the stand a lot, and even at the the weaker points of the show, everyone's really on or like trying to be on or at least like giving they're some sort of yeah. yeah, like they're like swinging for the fences, even if they're not gonna, you know, even if they strike out. And I never get the sense that anyone's really doing that here. I mean, Felicity Huffman definitely veers a little bit on that because she definitely tries to um, to put some muscle into the character, um, even if it well, comes she's across kind of like a soft lead. Yeah, yeah. So, like she I definitely mean, she, tries she, to go she, with it. She goes for it a little bit, yeah. Which is kind of telling too, because um, this is before Scully, you know, gets on the scene. So yeah, and it's yeah. very similar. I definitely feel a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I I will say uh, you know I, I ended up kind of enjoy she was one of the, she was one of the, the not a problem in this yeah <laughs> she's one of the last things that I had to complain about in this uh, series I actually I think yeah. she's um, kind of the best part of this entire uh, run so far um, she, everything yeah. she's doing is pretty interesting she kind of plays around with the environment but there's even like there's there's a sol- sort of um, uh, like I guess like um, passive aggressive boredom to it too though like it's not like she's really engaged with it as much as like is it as as it could be if this was like actually um an exciting series to be a part of you know <laughs> she feels like she's the only one at, and now and not to say it starts off that first episode i think no one knows what's going on mm-hmm. they don't know what kind of show this is or whatever and then i feel like somewhere along the line she's like 
I know what this is what this is kind of supposed to be, I think. And then she starts kind of becoming a little bit more like quirky and you're like, okay, this is an actual this is a character now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, she is she she finds something and she runs with it and then she's a, she she's a little bit more palatable. Except, you know, we've got to have multiple scenes with her talking on herself. Uh, <laughs> God, that fucking phone sequence. She's talking to Ed Louder. Um, Anyways. For me, I guess I can, and I can actually pinpoint the scene that I was my favorite scene of this, of everything I watched. It was the one scene where I felt like I really was engaged. And that was actually when uh, <laughs> uh, Andrews, the shop operative, was with ackerman the doctor from ghostbusters Mm -hmm. and he basically was describing what would happen if if ackerman like did anything and he was basically saying he would uh take a drill to his face and do dental work on him oh when he's in his kitchen yeah that's that seems actually pretty good i like that yeah and he like made him breakfast and he was forcing him to eat it and stuff it was all (laughs) very very king like in a way that i really loved and the dialogue was great the delivery was great uh ackerman plays scare i mean um you know the guy from ghostbusters he's he's good at playing scared and uh but just the description and sort of the central metaphor and theme that he was building that whole scene around which was uh what what was it It was like perfect paranoia is perfect awareness and he describes this whole drill torture and going through the cheek and um which reminded me of some stuff from uh uh stark's work in the dark half um which was Mm -hmm. kind of you know gruesome and um I don't know. I thought that scene was really cool and it made him a scary character. And then, but then I thought it was almost undercut a little bit because, well, once you learn the history that exists between Andrews and uh, Felicity Huffman's character and the idea that they used to work together, but his, his methods were too brutal for her. And then there's like an actual scene where you, yeah, where you see him holding like a severed head. That to me was like a little bit too much. I'm just like, come on, this guy's not out of here beheading people and carrying it like around in like Mexico or something. Yeah, like the, even the soundtracks like, you're just like, what are we doing? Here? Yeah, <laughs> like I, but I still thought that character was interesting and. You know, yeah. and I, I that strikes me as the kind of character King would have a ball with. And like you mentioned, I thought Artie McCall was pretty like just chewing the scenery and having some fun with it. And uh, I don't know, he had he had a lot of John Voight to him as well. You know, I was, and, I was just about to say that poor man's John Voight. Yeah, he was sort of poor man's John Voight. And but I enjoyed it. And like a lot of the scenes I liked most were the ones between him and Ackerman, because there's that scene, too, when he, uh, you know, goes to the lab and basically takes him for a walk and gets the info from him. And, and I don't know. I just thought that there was like some good acting, some good writing there like king was clearly very comfortable there whereas there was this affected nature to everything uh that harlan and his wife were doing you know mm-hmm. like like the, it's the whole mother aspect you know it's the folksiness that i struggle with with king sometimes where he it's almost like he's trying to make his characters more folksy than they actually are and uh and or in ways that just don't feel honest or interesting and so um yeah, so I'd say like that was the scene that really stood out to me as as something that I thought worked. Are there any other scenes that you guys can think of that uh, really landed for you, or you were like, "Oh, if the rest of the show is like this, I might like it more." Um, no, not really. <laughs> no, no, not really scenes per se. But I, I agree with you. I think that as it develops, as it continues, I do end up really liking the Terry Span JD, uh, Jude Andrews relationship. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like it, to to me that feels like a little bit of the best parts of Firestarter with like with Rain um 
What's Rainbird. Uh, oh yeah, no, because I mean, Andrew, Rainbird. Yeah, because it, 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 that's who Jude Andrews kind of feels oh, like. Oh, he is. To me. He's, and I feel he's like new that's Rainbird. Why he feels comfortable writing that character. Like I love that that line where he says, "What's the matter with you, Terry? You take stupid pills." <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, a it's good just line. like the guy knows how to sell the dialogue, and that's key in King because King writes very strangely sometimes, and some of that stuff you can't say out loud. But that guy gets it, so kudos to uh, R.D. Call. Um, but yeah, no, really, scene wise, not really. I think there's a sequence where Harlan and his wife are like in bed and they're like looking at their pictures of each other and stuff, and it's it's a very sweet moment. But like, that is what like a man. <laughs> minute of the of one of the episodes yeah. so uh no not not really for me but um i've got some misery <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, i mean we've this whole episode has been misery i I would imagine i mean that's we've kind of i know well then let me get or can we pivot to things we didn't quite like oh i thought we were doing that in the entire fucking episode well we are but i have one more I, i've been holding oh, on okay to. okay did you guys were you aware or what? At what point in the show were you aware that these people were being spied on? <laughs> oh my lord! How many shots are we gonna have along a wire leading to a guy listening to a listening in a dark room device. next to a giant Holy recording device? Shit! <laughs> Bang it over the head. That was another one where I was just like, "Let's go!" I was like, "We get it. They're being recorded." How dumb do you think the fucking audience is? It was just like like three times in the same episode. I know. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't handle it. Um, no. Yeah, that, that weird the, training exercise thing in Felicity Huffman's office with those dolls. It was just, it was such was a weird. weird. It was like, so, it was trying so hard to be Twin Peaks in that right, scene. Right. I like, wanted to vomit. <laughs> you wanted to vomit? <laughs> and I don't like that the that they named the green stuff KR three. I think it's really yeah. crazy. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, it's like, um, there's a lot of like world building, but um, it, the world building in this is like I'm going to use another metaphor. It's like if uh, you're on a, like a work trip, and you actually go to like put your clothing in the <laughs> in the uh, you know the dresser of a hotel room. Like, 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 like that's the, the amount of world building that like, it's like, seems like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Why, why am I doing this again? Like, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm going to live here. Um, but okay. Yeah. I guess I'll put this here for now. Um, I'll be here for another day or two. That's how it felt like with them building the world. In this. It was just like a little table setting, you know, a little nuance here and there, but not enough to make you feel like it's anything more than just set dressing. And I don't know. Yeah. It's, but not to shit too much on this. This is turning into tragic years. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I've got I've got a, a couple of lines that I really liked. Oh, Ooh, bring them. Um, at one point, Terry Span says, uh, or someone asks her, "Were you intimate?" And she says, "Yeah, very intimate. We used to kill people together." <laughs> 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 or uh, when Harlan is uh, talking to his uh, his wife, and he's like. Ah, there's lots of places I can't reach. <laughs> uh, I think that's. Should uh. we talk about? Um, should we talk about uh, uh, the pound cake in this? I mean, yes. might as well. <laughs> just a Let's gluttonous amount of uh, pound cake. Mac, what was wrote... it that turned you on? <laughs> in my notes, I wrote, "Hot love, old folks." Yep. <laughs> we got <laughs> when <laughs> when. Um, Gina Williams, Francis Sternhagen says, uh, 
ready or not, here I come. And she goes into the shower with them. And they bang it out into the shower. I don't know. I mean, nothing got me really hotter oh than just gosh. like, you know, uh, Cruz absolutely masturbating under the desk as he's watching uh, Terry Spann on the, the camera. Yeah, that was weird. Which is like, oh, God, yes. And then she looks up at the camera yes. and says, this makes me hungry. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> also, what's the deal with where, where is uh, where is uh, the general when he's taking that call? He's like at the middle of like a fucking men's club or something. Like, there's the oh yeah yeah. So somehow he does he like leave his home? Yeah. And goes to a, a men's club where like they're they're really disturbed that he's there at that hour. Yes, it's so like, weird. Like multiple people like the janitor has to get someone to go over there and be like. Oh no! It's not a men's club. It's it's like a motel or something because the guy comes in and he asks him, "What room are you?" Yeah, in? <laughs> yeah. I just it's like do you think this general couldn't have found a more inconspicuous way to call her than really drive down to some motel somewhere and call her? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I, I also so like the weird. the weird innuendo that uh, came with uh, Harlan coming going into the hairdresser and she's like looking him up and just being like. Uh, he's getting younger and a little hotter. Um, like <laughs> it just seems so. Uh, there was something there that they were trying to do with like uh, the eyes of the the hairdresser. I don't know. Maybe I looked way too much into it, but <laughs> it seems like something that like in the chapter if this was a book for King, at the end of the chapter, like uh, th- like when he's sitting down in the chair, the hairdresser was like, "She wasn't an old man, but he'd do." You know, or like yeah. chapter oh, 13. Oh, that's totally right out of road work. Yeah, yeah. where the, the young woman's always really attracted to the older guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, classic. Uh, but other than that, um, yeah, I mean, just the, the fact that there's just so much old people fucking. Um, is... <laughs> wait till you get to insomnia. Oh, I can't wait. I'm hoping it's descriptive, too. It's uh, horny as hell. Yeah. yeah, I don't have any more pound cake. I'm, I'm full up on, the, on my end. Uh, well, then let's talk. I guess I'm curious genuinely if... I think it's just interesting because when I read about a show that ends on a cliffhanger mm-hmm. and they're like, but you got to wrap it up and King. And it reminds me of like Deadwood and, um, and what was the other show? Uh, like Carnival, like those oh, old Carnival HBO the shows. Worst one. Yeah. I know. But like, imagine like if, if those shows, if that, obviously we got the Deadwood movie, but it took what? 12 oh, years forever. or something. A long yeah. time. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Carnival, though, would never get it because it nope. it didn't just need two hours. It needed, you know, what, like four seasons yeah, to wrap exactly. up the yeah. story. Yeah. And so it's it's interesting to me because uh, this whole concept of reviving shows and keeping shows going is such a thoroughly modern one. Like even today, I was, you know, writing up some teasers for that new Peacock sc- streaming service from NBC and uh, AP Bio's on it. And AP Bio had been canceled and then it was revived to go at Peacock because people, you know, like like the show and we're, ar- we're arguing for it. And um, but I'm interested even more so in the whole concept of a show where, you know, the narrative didn't get to finish. It's like the Alf thing, too, like where <laughs> Alf ended like the series ends with him getting captured by the government or whatever and that's because they were going to follow it up but then it just got canceled yeah and and they did eventually i think make the movie or whatever that you know continued that story but it's like it's so funny to me that whole concept concept of like a show ending and then it getting canceled and people being like but we need resolution and the fact that this didn't happen and we'll talk more about this next week or two in two weeks with uh when we talk about the second half but because apparently they do tack on like an ending Mm -hmm. and that reminds me of the twin peaks pilot where they were trying to make it like operate like a movie and they just tacked on that weird ending and it's such a weird phenomenon you know what i mean like 
And uh, but it makes me wonder if if Golden Years, uh, you know, whatever had come out today and that happened, if it would have been picked up by someone else or if something, you know, like how would this situation, which they were more or less helpless against, like if the network said they didn't want to continue doing the show, it was not going to happen. There was no other avenue for it. I, you I know? just don't. I, yeah, I don't. I just don't think. It, I think it was just dead ends at that point. You know, like nobody really yeah. pivoted at that in that day and age. It was like, well, if it's dead here, it's dead everywhere because. I, yeah. I feel like people would just... The, the, well, you just didn't have... Yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, Sorry. go for it. Go for it. Go for it. You just... You don't have... You didn't have, like, streaming services, so you didn't have something where, like, you as a producer had metrics the following year from streaming services to see, like, oh, this is really popular streaming. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, this, is, this, this might do really well on our channel. Let's bring it back kind of deal. You just didn't know. So you had shows like you're naming all those shows that just like that just end like i think american gothic from 1995 with gary cole do you guys oh yeah yeah. i loved that show and it's really really quite good and then all of a sudden it just like ends (laughs) and you know you just it just didn't have you didn't have that second chance at second life you also didn't have half as much programming as you have these days and tv tv was not at the level at which films were back then so right if Golden Years came out now, at the height of like the King Renaissance, I don't think it would have trouble continuing. I think it would also be hopefully a lot better than what we got <laughs> back in '95. I think that King, at this point, if he was writing Golden Years, would know how to write. Maybe it wouldn't. It might not even be like a shop esque thriller. It might just be what we were talking about, where it was more of a meditative piece on you know a love story almost, like where this guy's like de aging and. His wife, they're just, they're still in love, but they're, they're having to grapple with like who they are now kind of thing. But I don't think it would have gotten picked up. Yeah. um, It's interesting to me now because we're about to see another King penned miniseries on Apple, uh, Lisey story, which, um, is going to be super interesting because it's the first script. I mean, like the, uh, like TV thing where he's writing all the episodes. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's another, like, cause he wrote the stand obviously. And he wrote the shining that Mick Garris did. Like he did oh, the script for he, that. At least. He did the uh, yeah, like the actual yeah, scripts, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, um, I'm trying to think yeah. if there was anything in the 2000s, but I'm coming up blank if he, if there was. And uh, but it's interesting to me that he's returning to this, and I think that makes it sort of makes Golden Years at least a little more timely for us to be discussing because you know we're about to see a Kingpin miniseries again, and obviously the production values are a lot higher. There's a lot of A-list talent involved. I mean, you've got yeah. uh, Julianne Moore, you've got um, Clive Owen like Dane DeHaan, like these big names and JJ Abrams involved, Pablo Lorraine involved. Like it's going to be interesting because is King's writing. Cause obviously we love him as a novelist. We love him, you know, as a writer, but I can't rem- I don't think aside from maybe pet cemetery and aspects of the stand, I can't think of any other scripts by King that we've necessarily like celebrated. I mean, he, he did. Well, I wouldn't celebrate it, but he, I know he, I'm pretty sure he wrote this screenplay for, uh, good marriage oh yeah but you hated that, that right not, that was awful yeah see i haven't that seen it awful. i mean he so the, it's the, like, the best one for me that he, he that he's done is certainly like pet cemetery i just think that's like yeah it's because it's so much of a direct adaptation um and he hits yeah. the beats and knows how to like kind of get that gallows humor at the end but beyond that i think it's it's this it's the classic case of uh, of a writer that, that just can't um let go sometimes you know and that happens yeah. with any creator. I mean, especially one that has a finished product and you're having to adapt it and 
having to let go of things that worked in the previous medium. I think that's why you kind of need someone else to come in and do it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, this is strictly for the screen. So it's a little different, but at the same time, it's not because I imagine he probably worked off manuscripts that he had originally for this book. Um, yeah, when he, was, when he was working on it from, so I'm sure that there are sections of the book or whatever he had working off of that. He was like, I, I can't get rid of this. This is great. Um, you know, and <laughs> so I, th- th- in that sense, like you probably could have gotten a stronger writer, which that's why, you know, you look at like the outsider, which, you know, not a great book, what I've been told, but the, the adaptation at least kind of cuts the fat and gets into the essentials and kind of gets into a little yeah, more thematic kidding. areas. Yeah. And like finds new ways to enjoy the story ra- line um, because it's fresh blood. It's someone else with new pair of eyes and you're actually, you know, you're not going to have blinders because you already see the ending because you already wrote it. And I think that's why it's important to not have the fucking writer uh, adapting stuff. But, you know, <laughs> um. Yeah, it's. I find this such an interesting. I, it's so strange. I had never watched it up until now. I I always knew it would existed, and even when I was you know first discovering King, um, when I was you know in middle school and everything, I remember seeing the DVD for this at Hollywood Video, and I would glance at it occasionally. But I think because it was about <laughs> elderly people, I was not into it. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, I'm like fucking 12 ageist. years old, and I'm yeah. like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, the cover is so misleading. Yeah. I think it's going to be a, hor- a straight-up horror film with, like, action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's like, after the first three minutes, you know, I just that scene, that scene where J.D. Call kills that guy in the car. You can't even tell what's happening because no. yeah. the shot is so poorly done. You're just like, wait, did, did he kill him? Or well, what, is, what is he doing? <laughs> and that's why they want you when they're standing there at the end. It's like, you know. You killed, you know, he killed him, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, he killed him. Um, oh, that's the big <laughs> reveal. Uh, whoa, riveting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So oh, it's, man. it's, I just remember that really vividly, like staring at the box and just thinking, eh, doesn't sound for me, you yeah. know? And also, like, nobody, nobody talked about it. Like, yeah. it's, it's wild to me I how, I know, but it's like, it's just <laughs> wild to me how little, like, Stephen King wrote and created, like, a TV series on network TV. And that seems like it would be a bigger deal. Like, yeah, obviously, we still talk about The Stand and, and all these other miniseries all the time, but nobody talks about Golden Years. And obviously, that's because because The Stand, you know, obviously is based on this iconic novel, same with The Shining, and uh, even Tommyknockers is connected to an infamous novel. Uh, so people still discuss those things, but I think it's sort of a combination of Golden Years being an original idea, um, not being very good, and just being boring. Because <laughs> the thing is, like, we... I think the reason we like associate so much nostalgia with the stand was because we loved it as kids. You know, a lot of people loved it as kids. We were for people of our age, like millennials and everything. It's, it was something that we watched growing up and it was exciting, even though like parts of the stand now are kind of boring, but at the time they were really thrilling and like golden years, just it's, it's just like slow as molasses. Well, there's there's just know? not a lot of, there's not a lot of entryways, you know, you watch the stand, yeah, especially and you for have kids. The, yeah, ex- exactly. Like when I saw this, the stand as a kid, you know, I, I gravitated to it in multiple ways just because there are so many different entry points. You have, you know, someone who has an attitude. You have someone who's, you know, the stand-up guy. You have someone who's, the you know, a failure. You know, there's just so many different ways to approach it. Whereas with this one, it's just like, um, you know, if you're coming into this as a kid, especially like in the early 90s where you're getting like the, the, the snappiest television that's out there because that's how it was produced – 
it, it must have been like walking into a room and seeing a bunch of your you know your relatives talking about stuff that happened 60 years ago and you're like all right well i'm gonna go back in the playroom bye like it's just i don't know right it's just there's i, I just don't really understand the selling point of it which is why you know to discussing like people picking it up like i can't even imagine anyone that even being a discussion at the time because it just seems so dead on the water um or dead on arrival yeah um that I'm surprised it got as many episodes as it yeah. did already you know yeah um, yeah well uh any final thoughts on on the first half of golden Year? yeah i was gonna say can't wait to talk about <laughs> Oh man, I'm like actually after talking about all this, I'm like really interested in watching the next three episodes. Uh-huh. I'm just like, if this thing doesn't really end, what is in store? I know. <laughs> what is in store for me? <laughs> I cannot wait. No, I'm excited because I mean I am excited to see what kind of cliffhanger this ends on and yeah. and what kind of tacked ending that they put on it. Like that that'll be a fun thing to explore, I think. So, but uh, next week we're we've got a Patreon exclusive episode. It is the uh, third part of our Great Stand rewatch uh, in in collaboration with the coronavirus and um, it in collaboration in collaboration <laughs> and we called up COVID nineteen. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to discuss it. I've got lots of notes. Um, I've I've really enjoyed sort of our stand chats. Uh, they've been yeah. equal parts, uh, you know, cathartic. Uh, I think informative and analytic, and also you know funny. And so uh, yeah, so that's next week. We're also going to have a mini sode on the way to discuss uh, the Overlook, which was recent. We just announced this week. J.J. Abrams is dipping his toe back in the King world. Uh, uh, he's very into King these days, yeah. and so, but it's the Castle Rock team is is moving to HBO Max. It looks like, uh, which I think maybe fuels some of those rumors about Castle Rock um, not returning to Hulu. But we'll talk yeah. more about that in the minisode. And uh, just so you, just a reminder, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, uh, we would love to have you. Um, we'll still be doing two free episodes every month. Uh, but if you are a Patreon uh, member, then you will get two full length exclusive episodes every month as well as two minisodes every month as well as a lot of other fun stuff so check out um, our socials for more info on the patreon or you can head to patreon.com slash the barons b-a-r-r-e-n-s which is a reference to it if you remember Ah, (laughs) did king write that (laughs) don't forget we're doing some watch alongs too so you know oh yeah watch alongs yeah yeah it was uh i don't know if how many of you out there uh enjoyed the three-hour opus of it chapter two uh but we're gonna be doing a smaller film uh thank god featuring golden year star uh brad weinkrist Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery. Sorry, I absolutely just stunned your moto- your 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 movement there. I apologize, but I just wanted to oh, no, no, plug no. the watch alongs. I think it's good to plug the watch alongs. Uh, we'll have is more that info. Coming up next. Pet Cemetery yeah. is next, yeah. Yeah, we're going down oh, that okay, road. Cool. So so Very yeah cool. we'd love to have you guys join us for that um it would be it was a lot of fun when we did it chapter two even though the movie was kind of a slog but uh we appreciated you guys joining in and um it'll be good so yeah uh patreon and social media follow us there and um this has been fun guys yeah golden years golden years how golden about it golden years well why don't we wish uh our listeners some golden days and golden, golden nights. 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 <laughs> Ew, sounds oddly sexual. Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, bye, everyone. Bye. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends.
Consequence Podcast Network.